We are in Luke chapter 6 this morning. Um, It was my privilege when we were last in the run of this series and in Luke chapter 6 to preach on the verses beforehand. Uh, The ones where we've got to this morning is to start at verse 27. So if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Um, I say my privilege, it was actually quite hard going. Um, If you were here when I spoke from the earlier, the the previous verses in Luke chapter 6, you would have heard me say that I'd found it harder to prepare to speak on those verses than anything in, in, for as long as I could remember. I found it quite, quite difficult, quite a challenge to my heart because it was speaking about um, this. In these Beatitudes, it was all about acknowledging our needs and our longings, being able to look them fair, um, uh, square in the face and not be intimidated by the realities of persecution or poverty or hunger, that hunger for righteousness, as it says in Matthew's gospel, this profound sense of things aren't right in the world. Things that I see around me, they're they're just not right. Being able to look at that squarely and turn it to prayer. And it it was a challenge to us then to be honest about our own needs and our own longings. Uh, This morning is a new year for us as we gather. It marks a change for us as well. As we go through Luke's gospel, this week there's a change from thinking about our own needs and our own longings and looking out and considering the needs of others. The uh, title I've given to this is Loving When It's Hard. Because this passage starts with Jesus saying, love your enemies. And as we go through these few verses, it's going to push us to think not just about what's going on in us, but think, as Jeremy said, about our attitudes to others and our interactions with others. So let's read verses 20, from verse 27, I'm just going to read the first chunk as far as verse 36. And my prayer is that actually that what has been spoken prophetically this morning uh, about disappointments being blown away, that that would happen for us as we look at God's word together, that things that we're, we feel like we're carrying as burdens from the past especially the disappointments that Ruth spoke about, would indeed be blown away. Uh, my, what's been in my heart as I've approached this morning and prepared for this morning is that God would do something in us so that we leave this place this morning with a spring in our step, ready for the new year, not sort of just come to him with, here's all the list of things that have gone wrong, and here's the list of things that are going wrong, and and here's the list of things that look likely to go wrong if only I stop and think about it. There's something different. There's a spring in our step that will come to us by the work of the Holy Spirit as we look at God's word this morning. The verse that Richard read from Psalm 70 said, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Jesus says this, verse 27, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, 
What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. Nestled in the middle of these verses, in verse 31, it says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is often called, nowadays, the golden rule. The golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's been called that because it's found in pretty much every religion, faith, and culture. There's some version of these words that we should do to others as we would have them do to us. Now, I'm not an expert in, in every religion, not by a long way, but I do know this, that even whilst these same words, this golden rule, is found all over the place in human culture and faith, it doesn't always mean quite the same thing. Say, I don't know about all of the world's cultures and religions. I do know that in Jesus' time, there were also lots of different religious groups, lots of different philosophers who said this sort of thing, but who meant different things when they said it. Amongst Greek and Roman philosophers, the idea of doing to others what you would like done to you, was really about a way to make friends. The idea was that if you are on the front foot being nice to other people, then they'll be nice back to you. It was advice for forming friendships. Or put the other way around, people might say, well, look, don't expect to be treated well if you mistreat other people, you know, what goes around comes around. If you're nasty to other people, don't be surprised if people are nasty to you in return. Gifts, then, even whilst using these kinds of words, do to others as you would have them do to you. These words were um, meant different things, and for most people... Gifts given to other people were really like debts to be repaid. You give something to somebody and expect a favor in return. And community was then, and very often still is now, community, a sense of togetherness, is built up through an accumulation of favors and debts. We do something good for someone and they feel that they owe us something. Or someone does something good for us and we feel that we owe them in return. So we're bound together by a sense of debt. We owe each other. It might be, you know, I owe a favor to Mavis and she owes something to Boris and to Doris, and Doris in turn owes me something. Bob owes a debt to Boris, and so we're all stuck together. There's a picture I found for this. It's like monkeys scratching each other's backs and holding together in order to try and stay free from parasites. That's mostly what they're doing. Finding the ticks and eating them. Because there's a little, you might as well turn the parasite into nutrition. That's very sensible. 
But we can be like this. We come together, yeah, to scratch someone else's back, but in the knowledge that we'll get something from it too. Amongst the Jews in Jesus' time, the way that they made sense of the command to love their neighbor was to put a really clear boundary around that. It's really clear for them who their neighbors were and who their neighbors weren't. Their neighbors were other good Jews. And to other good Jews, there were certain obligations like if you did lend them money, you couldn't charge interest. But to people outside of that boundary, to people outside of their in-group, to people outside the family of God, you really could screw them. Whatever you gave to them, you could expect to get a whole load back. So when Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you, he needs to say a number of other things to make clear what he's really after. Because he's not trying to create a new society of back scratchers just with the name Christian. The church is not meant to be a society of Christian mutual back scratchers. Jesus was after something more, something far better. And so he says a whole number of other things. He says, do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. He expands in verse 32 on this a whole number of ways. And he talks about sinners over and over. Sinners in Jesus' time were people who'd kind of agreed to behave, to be known as people who were behaving badly. So he points at them and says, look, the people that we all agree behave badly, even they will lend to people when they're going to get something back or give something in the expectation of return. Don't be like that. There's no credit in loving your friends. That's just so straightforward. And even the most wicked of people do that. Love your enemies. So what Jesus teaches us is that there is no, there's no in-group whom we can restrict our love to whilst ignoring outsiders. We're meant to treat everyone like their family. We're meant to treat everyone like they are family. Jesus is saying here, whatever you would do, for a brother or sister. These sorts of things that he lists off. Someone takes your coat, give them your tunic. It's the kind of stuff that you might do for a brother or a sister in need. Jesus says, whatever you would do for a brother or a sister in need, do that for anyone in need. Raises a few questions, doesn't it? Jesus says, give to everyone who asks. Wow, he didn't have um, all the appeals that we get from all around the world today coming at us, pointing out to us all of the world's worst disasters and asking us to contribute. What do we do with that today in this globalized world? Well, I don't have a neat answer. But I'd like to make a suggestion that is a way of looking at it that certainly helped me and may help you too. That where we become aware of a need in our local community or amongst our workmates, people that we have some proximity to, then our default should be to give help and we need a really good reason not to. When we hear of a need that's on the other side of the world, that's far distant from us, then 
It need not be our default to respond to everything, but we should be open to doing so. And practically, that comes down to a couple of prayers. One prayer is, God, keep my heart soft. Don't let me get compassion fatigue. Don't let me become hard-hearted and closed off to hearing of others' troubles. That's one prayer. And here's the other prayer. God, when you hear something, whatever disaster it may be, whatever trouble it may be, there's another prayer, which is, God, is there anything you'd have me do? Is there anything you'd have me do about this one? And often as not, that prayer will result in straightforward peace of mind. God says, if you like, thanks for asking. But no, I've got this one covered with others. Often as not, people living closer by. Sometimes I'll say, yeah, yeah, go sell everything you have. Give beyond what you can afford. Because there's someone here in need and it's your time. It's your, I'm, yeah. So there's one thing. How, how does that apply in a, this modern globalized world? Well, it can still apply if we approach it prayerfully. Another question is, well, that's all very well, but what about sponges? Because there, there are some people in the world who would quite happily get by just always asking for help from other people and never doing anything to contribute. Um, in the early church, one of the things that they said, this is really, I find this interesting, how do you distinguish a true apostle? Important question. It's an important question in the early church. And in the, the, the advice that was given amongst, um, by bishops in the end of the first century, key way of identifying an apostle is they don't sponge more than three days' food off you. Because there was a kind of um, way of life in which you would rock up somewhere and say, I am an apostle, I have the word of the Lord, feed me. You know, house me. And then they'd hang around. And so the advice that was given uh, was, well, no, no more than three days. When I was volunteering at, to give advice on, with the Citizens Advice Bureau at the Asian Cultural Centre, uh, in East Oxford, just off Mansell Way, by the mosque there. Once had a guy come to see me. He was a um, very friendly guy, and he was a Muslim. And he knew that for devout Muslims, the, this command, that, uh, the, the, this understanding of you know, three days hospitality is enough, had, is, is a part of Islamic culture and teaching. And it works its way out in that, if you are a good and devout Muslim and someone, uh, another Muslim knocks on your door looking for hospitality, you have to give them three days board and lodging. To do otherwise would be un-Islamic. And this guy, he was a lovely guy, he spent his life with a suitcase and going round from one devout Muslim home to another, getting three days board and lodging for free. That's how he spent his whole life. There are sponges in the world. Well, although it's not explained here, elsewhere in the New Testament, and specifically 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10, there's clear advice and indeed instruction given, which is that if somebody won't work, then they shouldn't eat. That's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Some people can't work. And fair enough. But if people won't work, then, then they shouldn't be fed. But should instead learn to work because that matters and it's the right thing to do. So whilst these strong words of Jesus uh, might raise, you know, how on earth could that happen? Actually, they are also very practical. And the point here is really about our hearts. When Jesus says, love your enemies, he's asking something from us that can only come from our hearts. When people are nice to us, it 
brings up a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling which makes us want to be nice in return. When that's happening, our circumstances are making us nice. But when Jesus says, love your enemies, it's got to come from inside us. When there's nothing being done to us that makes us feel warm and fuzzy at all. At that point, there's got to be an overflow of love from inside us. In contrast to this kind of web of mutual back-scratching, what Jesus is looking for in his followers, in us as Christians, is that there be a, a fountain, a well of life in us that is strong enough and consistent enough that even when no one else loves us, there's still love in our hearts and we've got it to give away. The prophetic word earlier was about God blowing away disappointment. This command to love our enemies is, is really challenging, but God provides with it an incredible resource. He sends us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and blows in our lives. And his wind blows away the disappointment. That reaction in us that says, well, last time I tried, it went badly wrong. And, you know, blow me if I'm going to let that happen again. The Holy Spirit comes and just blows that away. That was the past. It's a new day. Life of God springing up inside us once more. Puts a spring in our step. The main thing is knowing God's love. With God's love in us, all this becomes possible. We've been forgiven, and so we can forgive. We have received riches from God, and so we can give generously. Jesus said to his followers, freely you've received, freely give it away. That's the life that Jesus is after. One in which there is a flow from heaven into us and overflowing from us, irrespective of how other people treat us. Does that sound like a good life to be leading? I want to be leading that kind of life. Al wants to be leading that kind of life, which is good. I hope we all do. It's a great life to live. It's a resilient life to live, not dependent on other people being nice to us but made robust by the flow of God's life and love. All of that was this first guideline. Guidelines for Christian love is Jesus fleshes out what does he mean in saying do to others as you would have them do to you. First thing is there's no boundary. There's no boundary to love. We've got enough love in our hearts given to us by Father God we don't have to draw a neat line and say, my love will only go this far. We've got more than that. We've got more than enough. Secondly, just to make it clear, love involves practical action. It involves giving your clothes away. It involves giving your money away. It involves letting other people hit you. Um, I'm trying to think the last time someone got hit on a Sunday morning as part of church. I was once hit in a prayer meeting before a general election for suggesting that, um, that Labour were going to win when they clearly were. Someone wanted someone else to win. And anyway, that's, that's a complete distraction. Um, I do remember a guy that we had who had a real challenge with anger, who was a regular um, Sunday attender for us, but who one Sunday... Uh, on being greeted, um, lashed out at, at Mark Sansom, who's now part of Whitney Community Church, and, um, and um, he, he had to go to hospital, if I remember rightly. I'm looking to Rich for, for confirmation. And, uh, and the guy went to prison. 
That, that, was, one, that was a little while ago on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, but you know what? Um, Mark didn't hold a grudge and was there willing to befriend the guy next time round. That's the Christian life, isn't it? That's the Christian life. Love involves practical action. Um, I'm going to embarrass Velma just very briefly because uh, on Christmas Day, we discovered that one of our neighbours is housebound and was not going to get any Christmas dinner. And we couldn't even invite her to someone else's house for Christmas dinner because she was housebound. So that's pretty rubbish, isn't it? So we we mentioned it to, to Dave and Velma, who just took Christmas dinner around and made her day. That's good, isn't it? Christian love in practical action. It's why it's brilliant that one of the missional communities that we have making up the life of our church is the Edge Missional Community, which is constantly looking out to others in practical need, whether people are vulnerably housed or looking for work, and doing something about it. And we're all really glad that they're part of the church, aren't we? And, and most people are a bit too intimidated to join in with them, aren't we? Because they are, in fact, living out this love for God to a greater extent than most of us would find comfortable. There's the truth of it. One way to respond to this message this morning might be to consider whether it's time for you to jump ship and join them. Just a thought. Let's not underestimate the power of practical love. Talking of our neighbours, I have to say this is all to do with Bev and, and not to do with me, but we invited our neighbours round for mince pies and tea, being British, just before Christmas. We moved house in the summer and we'd not got to know many of our neighbours. We put invites through people's doors. First, we just thought, it's a cup of tea. Well, and it was mince pies and leg kuchen and various other. It was nice, actually. But um, it was easy enough to do... It was easy enough to do. I was a little bit grumpy. I was like, we've got enough to do before Christmas. What are we doing this for? But there was love in the hearts of everyone else in my family. (laughs) And so they put invites through people's doors. And we wondered if anyone would come. First person that came through the door said, I've lived on this road 48 years. And I was like, oh, no. That was my initial, it was just initial internal reaction was like, oh, no. Because what? And she said, and no one has ever, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no one has ever invited people around for Christmas before. This is a first. Yay. I was like, oh yeah, well, you know, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of simple practical actions. They're transforming for people. Um, the next bit, this is, I'm still in verse 27, which is like the first verse, but don't worry, we're going to progress quickly in a moment, because the first verse kind of resonates with much of what follows. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. I don't think our neighbours hated us. They may have occasionally hated people visiting us who parked their cars in awkward places, but anyway, we did them good, practical good, but it goes on to say, verse 28, bless those who curse you. And pray for those who ill-treat you. There is a spiritual dimension to this. Now, for some people, the practical blessing is the more straightforward thing. But actually, you need to be reminded that praying for people and blessing people also helps. I haven't had... I'm glad that personally I've not had that many enemies in my life. The closest I think I've ever felt to feeling that I have enemies has probably been when I've been involved in trying to get planning permission for anything, which is, you know, just a sign of how easy my life is, frankly, that that's where it rears its head. But it seems that each time we as a church have wanted to, to make fresh use of a different property, we've had opposition from, um, from people, from city councillors who've said, no, you can't. They said, no, you can't here. And more recently said, no, you can't, to uh, Tyndale Community School, as we put in an application for that school to be started. And um, found myself at you know, certain points sort of wanting to pray, whether it's um, for the city councillors or occasionally for the planning department, God, would you, would you deal with them? And having had to learn to pray, God, would you bless them? Lord, would you make their work easy? 
God, would you give them wisdom and grace? Would you, I pray that their families would be blessed. I pray they'd have good health. I pray they'd have loads of money. I pray that you give them the desires of their heart. I pray you bless them, God. That's what we're called to. I don't know what enemies you have. Some of you have not really had any enemies yet in life. Some of you are thinking, boy, Steve has had an easy life. If you knew the kind of enemies I'd faced, whew. Well, Jesus' words speak to all of us. Bless those who curse you. Anyone spoken ill of you? Anyone wished you harm? Bless them. Bless them and pray for them. I'd like to pause at that point and say, well, look, there you go. There's some guidelines for Christian love. No boundaries. It's practical. It's spiritual. So what? So, so what are you going to do differently, having been reminded of these words of Jesus? Is there someone who has been beyond the circle of your love and friendship that God is just bringing to your attention right now? Is there someone who is your enemy God is softening your heart towards them. Is there some practical thing that you need to do? Some prayer that you need to pray? I'm just going to take, we are just going to take two minutes to be quiet and allow a practical response and a spiritual response to come into focus for each one of us. Father, I pray that as we take this little bit of quiet now, You'd help us to see what it means for us, each one as individuals. Amen. Okay. Now, in verse 35, Jesus is recorded as saying, Again, love your enemies, do good to them. And then this, lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great. There's a paradox, hey? Give. I think, I think that lending without getting anything back is called giving, isn't it? That's what we call that. So give without expecting anything back, and then your and then your reward will be great. I think that's what we call a paradox. Expect nothing and you'll be rewarded. Expect a reward and you get, well, not very much. Well, God's gracious, so you might get a reward because he's like that. But the promise is not for the people who expect rewards. The promise is for people who expect nothing. Let's just take another moment to be quiet because this is pushing still further into the attitudes of our hearts. Because even as God was helping us in those few minutes to the, there's this kind of love that I need to show. What will have gone on for a number of us would have been, well, if I do this, then, then that'll show them. Or if I do this thing, then I'm sure everything will get much better or whatever it may be. Whereas there is an expectation here that love gives and forgets the possibility of reward. I believe God wants to purify our hearts and help us to to do the very things he's speaking to us about, but with pure hearts not for ulterior motive. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here, you're at work. Pray now that you would come and, as you've spoken to us, that you'd come and and purify our hearts. You've spoken to us this morning already about blowing away our disappointment. I pray to you that you'd blow away our mixed motives. Pray that you'd blow away the desire to feather our own nests even whilst we love people. Make our compassion pure, I pray in Jesus' name.
verse 36. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. In love, we imitate God. This way of life is inspired by God's own character. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, it said in verse 35. And that leads us on to the last few verses. So let me read verses 37 to 42. Jesus goes on to say, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Take the plank out of your own eye, then, you are, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not judge. Do not condemn. I've had uh, three people separately ask me recently, what would it be like for my gay friend to come to church? What would it be like for them? There are people, and I've only, it's only three, three different people with different friends who have spoken to me recently. And uh, so I'm sure that there must, there must be many more. These are people whose friends are, are out, who are gay, and who are living that, that lifestyle, and who want to come and join us. Want to get close to God, know that we're a friendly bunch, and want to join in. And... Yet, members of the church here are unsure what that experience would be like for their friends and therefore are asking me, what would it be like for my gay friends to come to church? Would it be a good experience for them? How would that go? And I think it's, it's quite sobering for me to realize that there doesn't seem to be a widespread knowledge of the answer to that question amongst us. I thought that we all knew what it would be like, uh, but apparently not. So I thought it was worth taking these few verses here this morning to try to be clear. Um, in verse 37, it's translated, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. The word judge in English has a range of meanings. Uh, which could be the positive, you know, judged first place in a beauty competition through to judged uh, worthy of life imprisonment. It's, a, it, it, it's positive and negative. Um, the same is true of the word in Greek, and the context is needed to help us understand what it means. The commentators here agree that where it's translated, do not judge, uh, the sense here is the same as what follows, do not condemn. And so we have this repeated twice. Do not condemn, and you won't be condemned. Do not condemn, and you won't be condemned. It has the sense here of damning, castigating, passing sentence, Letting someone have it. Jesus isn't saying that we should ignore evil, but that we should be ready to extend mercy and forgiveness. That's what he said of his father 
uh, in verse 35. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Jesus upholds the idea that there is some judgment to be made, some in the sense of evaluation. We can evaluate whether people's actions and people's attitudes and in some cases people, people's whole way of life is righteous or wicked. But God responds with mercy to the wicked. We're called to give of ourselves to people even whilst they remain our enemies, which is the most extreme that somebody could be in their relationship to us. I think we're very familiar with the picture of specks and planks in our eye. Maybe that we've not quite got our heads around verse 39 quite so much. There's this parable uh, here about the, Jesus. I'll tell you a parable. It's like the blind leading the blind. They'll both fall into a pit. What he's saying here is quite specifically that if you're looking for someone to lead a blind person, another blind person is not competent for that task. It's beyond their ability. A blind person might have a huge amount of empathy with the other blind person and wants to help, but they're not competent to the task of leading somebody safely. Jesus is saying here, we, his followers, are not competent to condemn people. It's a bit like me when I wanted to extend the electric lead on our microwave and ended up shorting out the electrics and blowing a hole in the pliers. Like the metal evaporated as I bit through the live wire. Because I just forgot to turn it off. (laughs) I was trying to do something that I thought was within my competence, but turned out not to be. Turned out to be beyond my competence, but my pride led me to think of myself more highly than I should have done, and it ended in disaster. Thankfully, I didn't die. And, uh, but that's what Jesus is after here. The blind leading the blind is about people trying to do something that is beyond their competence. Jesus says it's beyond you to condemn people. You can make some evaluation of other people. You can see a bit of what's going on. But when it comes to passing sentence, that is beyond you. That remains God's task. And he makes it clear what our task is. Our task, verse 40, a student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Our task is to become more and more like Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say, look, so... If you've still got a plank in your eye, don't do the speck-removing thing for other people. But when you've got the plank out, then you can help other people. It's like Paul saying, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Jesus. In as much as our lives have got lined up with Jesus' way of doing things, then we're able to help lead other people into that too. but not condemning people as we go. I was reminded of another incident. It's a little bit sort of OCC church history going on. I must be getting older. I am 40 this year, so that's probably what's happening, isn't it? Um, When we were still meeting in the other hall through the way there, because this one was still being refurbished, um, there were a couple that visited us one Sunday morning, and they were sat just near the front, and someone had a personal prophetic word for them, which is something we have from time to time, where someone feels not just that God's spoken to them to speak something out, but knows it's for, you know, whoever it might be, and says, this is for you. And the word was, God's got a future for you. 
You know, have hope. God's got a future for you. Um, Afterwards, the prophet concerned went up to them and said, so was that all right then? And they said, oh, that was brilliant. That was so good because no one else has, we've been to a number of churches and no one else has been positive like that with us. You see, because ever since the woman said, ever since I left my husband and started living with this guy, no one's been positive in church about us as a couple. Ah, okay. At which point I got called over. (laughs) What what do we do now? Um, Anyway, I went round to visit this couple and I said to them, yeah, it's brilliant to have you. It's just brilliant that you came to us. It's brilliant that you felt welcome amongst us. And I'm I'm so glad that you felt that way. And I want to say to you really clearly, that is going to continue. You can come to us anytime you like. And you'll find us to be welcoming. You know, we'll give you cups of tea. We'll, we'll pray about whatever your issues are. We'll talk things through with you. You know, you can join a fellowship group amongst us. You know, what is it, what is it you're after? You know, there is a welcome. You know, the welcome that you felt, it was real. And now that you've told us a bit more about your situation, the welcome's not going to evaporate. The welcome's still there. You know, welcome in. I said... Uh, you also, you know, I need to be upfront with you that, you know, we're a church that is open and has transparency about, you know, we want people to understand how it is we, we operate. Um, we do believe that your current relationship is actually sinful. And um, we're not going to bash you with that every time you walk in the door, but we are going to teach about marriage and faithfulness and covenant from time to time as part of our teaching. It'll be part of the conversation that goes on. If you're in a small group, it will come up. And when it does, we will remain clear that, that the way that you're living life is contrary to God's plan for you. And so you'll feel challenged on that. And that's what you can expect from us. You can expect welcome and support, and you can expect challenge. So what, you know, when do you want to come back? Now, their choice in the face of that was not to come back. But isn't that the same dynamic that should be in place for every one of us? We're here, loved, despite the mess. Whatever the shape of the mess is in your life, I mean, I I know some of the mess for some of you, but what I do know for sure is that everyone has mess. I I mean, you know, that's, that's the way it is. So we're all welcome with all of that mess that there is, because if it were to be otherwise, we'd be hypocrites. If we were to have a different culture, we'd be walking around with planks in our eye, bumping into each other, because we all have mess. But actually, there are some people amongst us who've got hold of the truth from, of God's way of living in this area of life or that area of life. And they're living as shining examples of God's glory in someone's, you know, someone's pattern of life and way of thinking. And in one way or another, there are some people here who are extraordinarily generous givers. And we would all do well to look to them and learn from them. There are some people who are amazing practical servants and they've got hold of something that is, is Jesus commands of all of us and we do well to learn from them. There are some people that understand the doctrines of um, grace and salvation and we do well to learn from this. How it, you know, that's the kind of community that you want to be. There's support and there's challenge. And that's how it would be if we had um, people joining us, visiting us, who are living lifestyles, now, whether it's living out as gay or all kinds of other things, because it's not, we don't need to sit. I've only singled that out, not because it's specially complicated, but just because it's something I've been asked about recently. Whatever challenges people face, They can be welcomed amongst us, and we're here to help. Sometimes the help lies in saying, that's wrong. (laughs) 
and there's grace from God to change. I hope you also noticed in that little story about the prophetic word and that, that there's room in church life to get prophecy wrong. Just want to note that there. Because sometimes we're so concerned about getting it wrong that we don't speak. For years we've had a watchword which is, if in doubt, give it out. That is, if you think you might have something from God, speak it out. The worst thing you're going to do is create work for me. And I don't mind. I'm telling you, I don't mind. If you create work for me by screwing things. No, um, by... Uh... <laughs> okay, so here we are. I've got another picture. We can all follow Jesus and help others to do so. And my prayer for this year, for 2015, is that um, twofold, really. And I'd like us to finish by taking a few minutes, if you will, to pray along these lines with me. First, that God would help us as a church to be both distinctive and inclusive. Those two things together, inclusive and distinctive, distinctive and inclusive, so supportive and challenging, that he would help us to do that in practice. And also that he'd put a spring in our step. And that the, 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 the fountain of love that we need in order to love our enemies and to look like our Heavenly Father, that that would be renewed in us in this year. Is that all right? I think they're good prayers to pray. If you've got other better ones, pray them as well. And we'll take a few minutes. Maybe get into twos and threes and pray. And the band are going to come back and lead us in a final song in just a minute. Let's pray.